When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Right, hi, welcome to Ghostman Radio Show, and tonight my guest is J.V. Hillard. I hope I've said his last name right. I love his intro, which he said, Born of steel, fire and black wind, was raised as a highlander at the foothills of a once great mountain chain. He must have had a very interesting childhood. That's all I can say. (laughs) Well, what I did was I had a... um... I had a radio host once tell me that they, in order to get on their show, because it was a pretty competitive show, uh, that they wanted to see something creative from me. And what I did was instead of giving them the standard author bio, which is, this is where I went to school. This is where I grew up. This is what my wife's name is. This is where our dog's names are. Um, I cast myself as the chronicler of my own realm in the realm of Warminster. And so I took on this fantasy adventure sort of role which I thought was very creative. And that's exactly what he was asking for is, and it turns out he, he berated me. He was like, what is this? Like this, I, I can't use this. I, and and I said, well, you asked me to be creative. So I'm a writer and I write fantasy. So I'm writing a fantasy bio about myself. I thought that was pretty creative. It didn't let me on a show, but everybody else, including you likes it. So I just stuck with it. And if you, I love the idea because it shows exactly what, how, I would emphasize, I would presume the emphasis of books of like that kind of style of writing. Yeah, absolutely. And and frankly, you know, if you decode it, you can find out all about me, right? So like born of steel, fire and black wind, I'm from Pittsburgh, which is a lot like Sheffield. Uh, and so it's, it's a former steel and manufacturing, you know, center that's gone high tech and a lot of stuff with universities and things. But, you know, back in the day when I was born, that's, we had a lot of steel, fire and black wind. (laughs) So that's how it starts out. And then my mother, you could decode as a nurse. My father was a, you know, he worked in, in, in the, uh, the steel mills. And then of course, where I went to school and my wife and all that kind of stuff, you decode it, you'll figure me out. And, and uh, so I gave you a couple of hints there, but uh, it's, it's all good. Keep it as it is, because I love, I love it. I like, I love, I love the weird and wonderful. Now you've got a book, one book, two, book three, obviously trilogy. If you don't like that word, some people do, some people don't. Um, we'll talk about book one first. Just give us the gist of it. The last keeper. Just give us a sort of what we can expect. Yeah, so at the top end, it's an epic fantasy meets dark fantasy series. And the Warminster Saga is a four-book series, the fourth of which is coming out here in April. But book one, The Last Keeper, 
really starts the hero's journey for the main character, Damus. And and he's in a, in a tropish kind of way is, you know, the chosen one versus the false prophet, right? And he belongs to a sect known as the Keepers of the Forbidden. Uh, and they have this knowledge that's imparted to them by their god of knowledge. Uh, and he receives his uh, divine magic through when he sleeps. Uh, so, you know, he sees visions of the future uh, when, you know, he's, you know, out cold and they scare him. He has, they're basically nightmares. Uh, and he sees the fallen keeper, one of his sect who had used this power of knowledge for his own gain and was cursed by his God coming back uh, to take revenge, not only on his sect, but also on the realm. Uh, and he's the only one that sees him coming. Uh, and so at first it's a, a little bit of a um, coming of age story for a young man who's in his early twenties, but has always been sort of, you know, uh, you know, not looked upon well because of this strange ability he has. Um, and uh, his sect uh, doesn't necessarily believe him in the beginning. And then, all of a sudden, when the signs are right, they they start to pick it up. So it's really, you know, for him, it's it's a classic fantasy tale. If you're a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons or Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, you're going to see that. Except I will warn you, there's a spin of gothic in it. And not the good guys don't always win in my novels. So uh, I'll leave you with that. No, so what, you don't want them always to win. I don't like all the good guys always win because in the real world, they don't. And obviously. And book two is, I might really, really mispronounce this one. Gordon's Lair. Gordon's Lair, yeah. Bit of a mouthful, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, that's the, you know, that's the Empire Strikes Back version, right? That's the one in the middle. Uh, and it's where the hero's journey continues. And they they wind their way from uh, the capital of Warminster to uh, a city called Abacus, which is a city of wonders. It's a city of invention. And that's where fantasy really meets sci-fi for me. I put a lot of uh, of twists and turns. It's kind of like, you know, it's filled, it's a city filled with cues from James Bond. All of these inventors that use magic to create these cool little items that both the villains and the heroes get to use against one another to countermand each other. Uh, but as they get there, Damus, the main character, learns a little bit more, not only about his history, but the history of the, the villain, uh, which advances the story in, uh, in the books threes and four. And obviously book three? Yeah, the Trillius Gambit, that's the one where he's challenged to enter a labyrinth that's created by the god of sport and tests in order to retrieve a artifact that's lost at his fault uh that's the most important artifact or relic of his god and so it's a he has to go there and if he survives the labyrinth and retrieves this there's a prize waiting for him including the opportunity uh to take on uh the the big bad evil guy at the at the end of book four uh but also it's it's a test that really shows him coming of age and becoming the man so like in, in my case it's sort of what i would describe as sort of the the return of the Jedi, except the big battle doesn't come until book four. <laughs> now, obviously, you've been hugely influenced by lots of things. Um, what would you say is your biggest influence? Like, have you have you been influenced like by certain TV shows or radio shows that have sort of influenced your ideals behind the book? Yeah, I would say that the most impactful to me was playing Dungeons and Dragons at an early age. You know, I fell in love with the genre. Um, I fell in love with the storytelling and the imaginative process that came alongside that. 
And many of the ideas that we use during those campaigns, those gaming sessions, I've embedded into the novels because they're battle tested. They survived some you know, high praise and or criticism from friends that have been playing for a long time. And, and you know when you've got something good and you know when you're also playing something that's not that's just so-so. And I had the ability to kind of take the good and leave the bad and, and put them into the novels. And so a lot of the situations that you'll find in the in the in the first four novels are, are things that we actually played through or at least in part did you know and i changed some of the names that it just made sense to change uh and stuff like that but ultimately i was really influenced by that coupled with the fact that um you know i think that you know the tolkens of the world the martins of the world the c.s lewis's of the world all of those that like came before me in this genre really laid the groundwork for where i think the genre is today it's it's really um you know been made contemporary um through a variety of including the most recent stuff with with game of thrones i mean uh you you take something that in the past had always been looked upon as a young adult genre and now it's a real hardcore uh adult genre and people that have grown up loving it are now seeing it through the eyes of you know, adult situations which i think is is really cool now my stuff is pretty much pg-13 i kept it that way because a lot of readers like to start out in their YA days and their parents don't want them reading some of the stuff you might find some of the other novels but as um, we found with uh, even J.K. Rowling when the Harry Potter stuff situations got you know more adult as Harry grew up and so in the beginning there wasn't death there wasn't evil there wasn't Voldemort there was the fear of Voldemort but he was fighting monsters and magic and learning the, the the hallways of Hogwarts and then at the end he's really learning adult stuff you know there's you know themes of love and themes of war and and, and th things where he's learning things in the past that are impacting him, you know, and that's what I try to do with mine. So as the characters grow uh, and all the characters are of adult age, um, just save for a handful. So much of it is adult themed anyway, but at the end of the day, it's something that's safe for, you know, parents that might want uh, their kids to be protected from some of the, 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 the raw nature that may be out there in some of the other forms of, of our genre. Um, which character would you say you relate to more in your book? Because obviously every writer, when we write, we always put a little bit of ourselves in it, whether we want yeah. to or not. There's always elements we borrowed from our yeah, past. Yeah, no part. doubt. No doubt. So, yeah, my, the, the character I identify with the most is Sir Ritter of Vulcanier. And, and I think for two reasons. One is... He was one of my D&D characters. So when I played Dungeons and Dragons, I actually played him and I saw through his eyes as a player character. And so, you know, the way I had crafted him as sort of this, you know, uh, reluctant hero of lowborn nobility of mixed, you know, blood, which is a, not a good thing in the realm that he's in, um, you know, it made him a, a fun Dungeons and Dragons character to play. And then taking him, lifting him out of that and dropping him into this and then creating a storyline around him was a lot of fun because I I kind of lived him through my eyes. And I think, the, you know, many of the others were either characters that I had friends play or characters I had made as a dungeon master or they were just brand new to the storyline. So I was making him up as I went where Ritter and a few, just a few others really had a nice story arc that I was able to transform into plot and you know development you know character development and all the things you need to do as a as an author as you put um put something into a book and so he's the one i identify with most for those reasons i always think that that we could always do something 
similar to um, Norse mythology and Roman mythology and Greek mythology. I think we could muck about that a little bit more because the stories are out there, but you could make, give them more of a modernish twist. You know, it still keeps to the basis of the story because it's all there. But someone could sort of like look at it and go, yes, I can make that a bit more towards the modern like story of a, a fantasy story or horror story, whichever way you wanted to go. Yeah, you see that a lot these days with the proliferation and the popularity of uh, urban fantasy and magical realism. Those are all categories within that put fantasy, instead of it being set in the traditional Tolkien medieval setting, uh, it's set in modern day. You know, and urban fantasies are just fantasy characters that are living through, you know, cities. Right. So, you know, and some of that, you know, we're all used to through like Marvel and DC Comics with uh, superheroes. Uh, you see that a lot. Uh, and it's not much different except they're living in, you know, modern times. Uh, or you'll see some of that with things like Twilight or uh, you'll see some of that with the uh, Hunger Games and, and stuff where they're bringing a dystopian flair to it. But it's all modern, uh, not science fiction just yet, but modern with these fantastical stories and, and, you know, things behind them. So you'll see creatures like vampires or werewolves or, or, um, you know, you'll find, you know, you know, creatures that I've created, the cryptids in, in my novels, you know, where you can, you, I've borrowed it, you know, inspiration from Norse mythology, from native American mythology, from Indian mythology, really cool creatures that have existed that there's a connectivity to people. Cause what, it's always difficult for someone like me who's creating their own world to get people to understand where they are. Like if I, if I was in a, you know, a Bond thriller and I said, James Bond got in a car and drove down the road. I, I described exactly what he did. And you saw that in your eyes, but in my world, I have to tell you if the sky is blue and how many moons we have and, you know, do we have what kind of magic system we have and what does the currency look like? And so there is all of this world building around it, including this pantheon of gods, like you've mentioned. And so, you know, I borrow uh, inspiration for my novels from the Greeks, from the Romans, from the Native Americans, from the Norse, uh, because they're cool. So I've got I've got Vikings in here that, that worship gods and that are kind of like Thor and Odin, but my own version of them. Or uh, there are some gods I've just made up. You know, there's like a god of healing and, and there's a god of knowledge. And, you know, some of them you could find in other, you know, like Athena was the, the goddess of knowledge uh, with that. And, and I created my own pantheon of gods. But I can see what you're saying. And I'm right now I'm writing a book that will come out probably in 2025 about a, a girl who is half Medusa and half Elven. Uh, so it's set in the realm of Warminster, but it also reflects back onto this sort of like Greek mythology along with like her trying to find her mother because she feels cursed uh, by this. It's a real internal struggle for a character uh, that I'm developing because she's known nothing but pain and, you know, and she's she's inherited her mother's curse in part. She doesn't turn people to stone yet, but as she gets older, her powers manifest. And right now they manifest in wild magic as she's younger and doesn't know how to control them. Uh, but as she gets older and older, you know, she now knows how to control them. And she's fighting whether or not trying to make a choice of whether or not she succumbs to the evils of the Medusa or the curse of the Medusa or does she fight it along the way? And how can she relieve herself of this curse? And so it's going to make a nice sort of three book novella trilogy when all is said and done, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting at that. But to your point, that's a, that's a perfect example, taking some of these, these old 
pantheon of gods and and twisting them into something that's modern day and it's happening out there man well i like i like um listening to old radio scripts and old tv shows series like the outer limits and twilight zone because some yes. of the stories in there are excellently written very very powerful even by today's standards you know because it was written back in the 60s and 50s and there are some stories out there that still relate to today's society you look at the like the anti-war ones and there's a film called The Boy with the Green Hair. You ever seen that? I have not, no. But it's about a boy who obviously has green hair, but he's like a protest. It, it, it comes because it's like a protest thing. It's a very clever film. Anyway, I'm digesting that. And it, like, that, that's why I like I like the story. And I, I sometimes, when I write, I try to write not obviously to that as good as I can, because, you know, <laughs> they were very, they had a collaboration of teeth, probably. But I try to write a story that's, I think to myself, I wonder what he, that person would do. Or like you said, where would that go? Would that go there? Or could I go left of it? Because I wrote once about a story. I wrote, I borrowed a story. Because I looked up about how you butcher meat. And instead of doing it meat, uh, uh, pigs and that, I called it vegan, and the story was that humans are being used as meat. So, I just, <laughs> just it. yeah, it's, it's all like soiling green or or um, yeah, that, that, that piercer, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. I like that kind of style of writing. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of stuff to be taken from those old classics, right? I mean, I remember some of my some of the twilight zones were that I mean they like you said they still hold true like like some of them have messages excuse me perhaps for the time and they might be a bit anachronistic 50 years forward but you know if you look at just some of the ones i'll never forget the one with william shatner on the plane with the gremlin on the wing right and it's just like that's the same that that's timeless right and they won't believe him and he's is he crying wolf is he out is he going crazy and this gremlin's there trying to crash his plane or uh, the one where the astronauts um, think they land on Mars uh, and they they end up killing each other until there's one left. And he, you know, because they're trying to survive on water and food as long as they can. Uh, and, you know, the one staggers by, a, uh, you know, these um, power lines and see. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is that, he, that they didn't crash on Mars. They actually crashed back on Earth and he ended up killing his, you know, his friends, uh, you know, at, and he didn't have to. All he needed to do was wait to be found uh, and stuff like that. And those kind of stories that are just really grim. They remind me of Stephen King's The Mist in the same way where it's like if he yeah, would have just waited weird. another 15 yeah, seconds, weird. yeah, the mist would have cleared. But in, instead, he kills all his friends. You know, at, that kind of stuff is that that's that has a different kind of thriller nature to it and suspense nature to it and yeah, horror nature to it. And, and you find some of that in fantasy, but fantasy has a tendency to be more idealistic. If you look at the, the Tolkien's and the C.S. Lewis's of the world, they're writing about thematically, they're writing about things that sometimes they were even, they were, you know, you know hiding some Christian, Christian messages and their Christian beliefs you know, inside of those, I think Frodo is basically a Christ figure and the lion and the witch in the wardrobe is a Christ figure. He's sacrificing themselves for the betterment of the, of the, you know, the, the, the realm in this case. Um, and, and those kind of, th- th- those themes don't ever get stale. So yeah, I, you know, and I do, you know, I, I'm still a big fan of the world of the world stuff. And even more recently, what they tried to redo with uh, the last of us, the, the uh, HBO show, which is, you know, they started it out with this like fake, um, uh, you know, like TV uh, interview with a scientist talking about how this if fungus were to live inside you, it could corrupt you and make you crazy. And that was their form of zombies, right? Like the the zombie apocalypse. Stuff. That's possible, uh, though, because it is actually yeah. um, insects that can burrow into other insects, mock brains, and they take full control over their bodies there's yep. they become like they're slaves yep and that's the kind of thing that's scary about it right like it actually could happen you know and so that's why i think sci-fi is it's a lot of fun fantasy you get to make up stuff and it really there are no rules for it where sci-fi you have to the idea behind sci-fi is we're taking something that's science and then just extrapolating it so far like artificial intelligence and you have the terminator problem you know with uh cyberdyne systems and all of a sudden you know skynet goes goes uh ai and just takes over the world and and tries to get rid of humans you know or things like that or you see like the star trek the star wars there's always something there that's just taken way too far that becomes an issue and you know and i think that we we see a lot of that stuff and that i think all began with a bit of that world the world stuff if you talk about radio shows you were you you're just faking everybody out during a time where people were seeing Martians all the time, like right after World that, War II. That was the best. That's a lot of actually, fun stuff. When you read the script for the show, it's actually said before the show, this is a show that we're now going to talk to basically, you know, Orson Welles, introduce him. So you obviously, that, but that's the part people don't, because it was so, it, the communism threat was so high back then yeah it really tuned into it and pe- people's inner fears a bit like covid did if you when people wrote stories about after covid it tuned into people's fear of 
the COVID situation. Yeah, and I know a lot of publishers stopped publishing books that were, you know, uh, know, disease-oriented for a while there because of the recency of what everyone was going through. So it was that's that's an interesting play too. I mean, sometimes that stuff comes to life. This is what it is. And as I say, I love fantasy because I'm a great fan of Terry Pratchett as well, and I love his stuff. And that's very bizarre and goes in very different, weird and wonderful directions. You know, like it starts off with a postman. The postman isn't a postman. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it goes weird. And what, this world is not, and that world is another world on top of that world, this world. And you, you sometimes read it going, where am I going now then? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. And you, you have no, you've got artistic license to do whatever you want in fantasy. That's the fun part about it. You take a, a Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and you can make it comedy, you know, and it's fun to, to read it or, you can get real serious with it, like uh, Game of Thrones, where it gets really dark at times when it, it tackles things like rape and incest and murder and all those kind of things that come along with with power struggles and stuff like that, which, you know, you see to some degree in Tolkien, but it's really PG-13. You know, it's it's dialed back a bit, but, you know, there, you can you can go and stretch it in any stre- in any way you want. And that's what's fun about fantasy is just it's not real. So you make it what you want to make it. Would you? um it's say like uh, someone come along, obviously, like in an ideal world, they come along and said, "Oh, uh, we'd like to make a, a film version of your book or a TV adaptation of your book." Would you be okay if they kept the majority of the emphasis of the story, or they changed it because of the film element, because a book? Sometimes some characters in a book don't work well on a TV series or film. Or would you sort of like to stick to your guns a bit because it's your baby? You know, that's a fun question because it's actually already happened to me in a different sense. So I got approached about two years ago uh, by a video game company that wanted to adapt my series uh to an augmented reality and a virtual reality game and during the process where i was licensing my intellectual property to them that was a concern right and what you find out is that just like a book a book is its own medium you know literature is its own medium video games are their own medium and there's only certain certain things that can translate over so there will always be gaps and i embedded myself in the storyboarding process for the creation of the video game and you're right. It's, you know, a 60 or 75% version of what the, the true story is. But I was willing to sacrifice that other 30 or 25% based on opening the eyes of other potential readership. You know, it brings in a set of people that might fall in love with a video game that knows that it correlates with a four book series and they might go out and buy that four book series too. And I just, I'm in the process of having that conversation with a studio that's going to turn it into a graphic novel. And again, now I can take three pages to describe something in my novel and they have to do it in one block this big, right? With a picture and they've got to get it. That's the story in there and it has to pop. And you've got maybe a line of dialogue every other frame within eight frames on a page and you're and you're limited to the amount of pages that you can have. So, you know, it's fun, but it's challenging because you know that you're, they're only going to get 
you know, the rock on the pond. They're going to dip into the story just enough and they're going to see it through a different set of eyes versus being immersed in it in the books. And I think that's why your example about movies is almost invariably, if you ask anybody going into a movie who read the book prior to seeing the movie, they like the book better. And the reason I like the book better is you've created it in your head. So if I describe my character and it looks like you or me, and then I go see a movie, I'll give you a perfect example of one. I love the Jack Reacher novels and Lee Child has written those novels. Uh, you know, he's got 30 novels or whatever it is with Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is a guy that's six foot eight and muscle bound and husky and is a threatening, menacing Viking looking guy. And then they cast Tom Cruise and Tom yeah, Cruise yeah. is maybe he's not, he's six, not a, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you're like, what am I watching? The movie itself was good, but that's not Jack Reacher to me. Like, it just isn't Jack Reacher, you know? And uh, great, I get why they cast Tom Cruise. He's going to sell a lot of tickets to the box office. But for a fan of the series, it was miscast. And so I liked the books better because in my head, I saw Reacher. I knew who he was. And I think that's the risk of translating any piece of art into a new medium. And so that does, on occasion, become an issue. So for me, I've learned and accepted that during this process of storyboarding for both graphic novel and for video games that um, it doesn't have to be the same. And to seed over decision-making power to people that understand their medium. Like I understand literature, so don't tell me how to write my book, but I don't understand how to write code. I don't know what plays well in today's video game world. I play, I'm a gamer, but I don't know how to make those games. And if you do, I'm not gonna tell you how to make that game. And so if you have to cut things out, I get it. It's just, I, I've taken the position that look, that's good for me. It's good for my product. It's good for the brand to have been adopted into these other mediums or media um, so that they will, you know, people will get used to the story. And maybe one day I'm I'm having this conversation with you again, where Netflix is taking a shot at it, or, you know, MGM is going to put it on the the silver screen. I think you've got the right attitude. There's a lot of authors go, oh, no, I couldn't do that. And I thought, well, you would have to sacrifice it because otherwise they could just, Go to your publisher, buy out the rights under your under your under you if you don't if you've got a really bad publisher, and they just say, "Oh, fuck it, we want to sell it," and then they could do a real hash job on your product that you've worked your life blood out of, and then people are going to go, "Don't want to bother with that if it's anything yeah. like this," you know, because you have seen films like that, isn't it? That they, that I they have. completely they've made a complete mess of the book. It's nowhere near the book. It may have the title, but it's about it. Yep, you see that a lot. Uh, and some adaptations are much better than others, and you hope you grab one that's a good one. You know, and that's a risk. It's a calculated risk, and they pay well. You know, so you're you're it's it's you're not selling out. And I know that some folks look at what we do as art, and others look at it as a means to make a living, right? So if you're on the art side and you don't want anybody touching your art, then you're going to decline those things, or you're going to have you're going to be involved in it, you know, but if you don't accept the fact that you might not understand that medium better than they do, then, you know, that there might be some friction there. On the other side, if you're looking at it as a business and it's just, Hey, this is how I'm putting food on the table. I'm going to sell you the rights to this. I'll get a little bit of over oversight, but at the end of the day, you're, you're buying you the right to do what you want to do with this product. That's fine. And that's the risk you take on that back end. You might find something that, that ends up falling flat, you know, and I think we've all have seen that, um, you know, I'm not going to name names, but 
you know, and then there are those that have really translated well, like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, I think was really well, well received, uh, you know, but then maybe the Hobbit perhaps shouldn't have been broken up into two books and they should have just done a single movie. Yeah. I think uh, so, on it. It's too you know, long. That kind of stuff. Far too long. Yeah. yeah you took a, a 180 page book and turned it into two movies that were three hours long a piece. You know, I get it. Yeah. So I, no, I, I think that's the risk you take is it doesn't always translate super well. You would just hope that it translates well enough that makes money for everybody. Also, I like, did you get someone to do your covers for your book or did you choose a random art that you can? Oh, get no, no, thing? no. I found, I found an illustrator over your way. Her name is Larch Gallagher. Uh, she's in the UK and uh, Larch and I, I think are on the same wavelength. She does my stuff really well. Um, and, uh, I would recommend her to anybody that is looking for a fantasy adventure, uh, illustrator. She, you know, I think it really, there, there's a couple of things about a cover that I've learned as an author. One is it sells the book, right? Like I have people that'll leave me two star reviews, but they bought the book because of the cover. Right. And they didn't they didn't like the book for whatever reason. Now, the majority of my reviews are not two stars, which is good. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the cover when you're in a bookstore or where you're on Amazon and you're searching and you've got a thumbnail this big, it's got to pop. Or if you're in a bookstore and you're walking by, the first thing you see is the cover. And what's on the cover doesn't necessarily re- need to represent what's in the book. It just has to catch your attention, it has to be genre specific. So, you know, I don't go looking for Stephen King novels in romance sections and his covers are all going to scare you. That's what they're supposed to do. In my case, it's supposed to scream fantasy adventure and harrowing and, you know, uh, you know, evil and all that kind of stuff that you want as part of that so that you're willing to pick that cover up. And the second thing you do is you turn it over onto the back and you read the blurb and that you're taking an epic fantasy that has 150,000 words into it and you're narrowing it down to 250 on the back of a book. And then when I read that and if it says all the things I want it to say, then I start to read it. And then at that point, they've actually dove into my world. And if they they don't get that far without reading the blurb and they don't get that far without the cover. And so the cover is incredibly important uh, to authors and I would not skimp on that. And if you can't design your own stuff, find a professional, it's worth the Also, I, I think they really do pop. I really Thank do you. believe that. I, 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 uh, I do draw cartoons for magazine, but that's my, my style is just like basic style, but, so I don't know how much effort goes into any art, the concept of an art, because you have to please the artist. There's no point you you saying, "Oh, I'll just do this," because at the end of the day, you've got a vision in your head that you want to sell, and they go, "Right, this looks like that." I'll give him this. See if he like. Oh no, can you change that a bit? Right, it's back to forth sort of discussion that you can have. And then at the end of the day, you're happy, they're happy, because obviously they've got their work out on on a book, and it's a great way of saying, look at me, this is what I could do. Same as you being the art, the writer, the, the illustra- illustrator has to get their work out there. Because unfortunately, because of AI, you can create a lot of your own covers now. Yeah, and obviously they're not the same, but you know what I mean, AI is slowly killing the art. Yeah, and AI has been received poorly in the artist community for a reason, right? And in a lot of cases, one, it's it's not really creating something. It's just it's just scraping through the internet, finding things that reminded of what you're asking it to find, and then reassembling it. But it's really stealing and plagiarizing from other people, whether it's literature, 
whether it's art, whether it's speeches, whatever it is. And, and so it's not a perfect situation. It'll get you something basic. Uh, but mostly the artists that are <laughs> on the, that are making, trying to make a living by doing that, um, you're stealing from them in some respects. So I, it's, it's a really tough, look, it's a tool. Everybody's using it these days. It's hard. Now they've got readers that will identify things that were written by, by AI. And it's just, it's hard. It, we're at that strange precipice, that line where do you cross it into true plagiarism or what's going on here? And that's, and that's a, that could be a heck of an issue. So I, I, know you know, I try come, not to do I that. Know it's yeah. come, don't you? Someone's going to read, AI is going to be like the Bible or something. Yeah, something really no. controversial. It's going to come, isn't it? It's going to come, like yep. AI, by, AI by the Bible. Yep, and then everybody's going to just lose it. Yep, it's just going to, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today because I think we've covered nearly everything you wanted to talk about. Is there anything you want to add about? Uh, website. No, I mean, um, yeah, if you want me to plug my, I'm happy to do that. If, if anybody's interested in my novels, you can find the Warminster Saga at jvhilliard.com. That's J-V-H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D. Uh, and if you want to find me on socials and direct message me, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube um, at J.V. Hilliard Books and Facebook and Discord, just J.V. Hilliard uh, so if you're looking for me, and of course, you know, Twitter slash X is also at JV Hilliard books. So if you're looking for me there, I try to get back. You can shoot me an email at Joe at JV and I'll get back to you. I back to everybody within 24 hours, but check it out. And my books are available ubiquitously. You can get them at dragonmoonpress.com. You can pick them up at Amazon. If you're a shopper there, iTunes, you can download the e-copies. You can get the audio books from audible and other platforms that do that. And, and if you do, I, I hope you enjoy them and I'd love to hear back from you. I've got to go because I've got my 40 minutes up on Zoom. But it's just enough. Gotcha, to do sir. <laughs> right. Thank you well, very thank much. Thank you very much. I do, do appreciate it. I'll get it back to you as quick as possible, probably today or tomorrow. Sounds okay. great. Let me know. We could cross promote. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for giving me your time today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.